that's what we are going to Lord willing look at today. So Romans chapter six, I'm going to attempt to preach the whole chapter. Of course, not going into every detail, but kind of an overview. So Romans chapter six, if you're able, please stand for the reading of the word of God. So Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that former doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be seated. Holy and righteous Father, I ask now that you come, Father, might I decrease that you may increase. Father, would you grant ears to hear? Would you grant eyes to see? Would you grant souls to be saved, the saints to be sanctified? 
to grow in holiness, that they may be more pleasing in your sight. In their words, their conduct, their decision, in everything, in their marriages, children obeying their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Father, I pray that you'll do a great and a marvelous work here in this room today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here we see Paul begins with a question, a rhetorical question. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So as Christians, it's almost we are like, well, we know our God. We know our God is holy. We know our, our God has a law. So it would make sense that, no, we shouldn't continue in sin. So why is Paul bringing this question up? Well, if we back up a little bit. So back up to chapter 5. Starting in verse 18, it says, Therefore, so Paul has been, he's been teaching on how Adam, when he sinned, brought death, it brought condemnation, it brought judgment into the world. However, Christ, because of what he did, it brought righteousness, as we spoke of last week. In verse 18, he says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. So Adam sinned. And as a result of his sin, judgment came to all men, everyone born into this world. You are born sinful and corrupt, as we discussed last week. You are born with a nature that is against God, that hates God, that is dead in your sins. You're an enemy of God. That is how everyone comes into this world as a result of Adam's sin. But just as Adam's sin resulted in judgment and condemnation and sin and corruption and everything else, on the other hand, even so through one man's righteous act, so Christ, his righteous act, his life of perfect righteousness, it says, by one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. We dealt with the word justification last week. We're declared righteous. So with the very righteousness of Christ in his life, that's how God sees us as Christians, because not of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. Verse 19, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So, Paul can be open to a charge here. Maybe you heard the sermon last week and you were like, okay, so Ivan, are you saying that sin really doesn't matter because regardless of what I do, if I'm a Christian, I'm perfectly righteous before God. 
Well, Paul was open to that charge here as well. So that's why this question comes up. It's like, okay, we were made righteous by the act of Christ. And when the, the law came in, that sin might abound, in other words, just to expose your sin, as we discussed. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. This grace, this gift of righteousness, sin cannot outdo it. You cannot outdo the righteousness that's been granted you to you in Christ Jesus. So here you're like, okay, Paul, if I understood you correctly, well, sin abound, grace abounds much more. So I can just continue in sin and grace is going to abound. Paul's like, okay, let's, let's deal with that. So he raises the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That this grace, this gift of righteousness, shall we sin that it may abound? He answers, certainly not. And he says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So Paul is telling us something here. He's telling us that when we were granted this perfect gift of righteousness from Jesus Christ, it didn't come alone. It's a package deal. If you receive this gift of righteousness, there's something else that happened. Okay, we, I used an analogy last week of... You know, you can have a house and you'll have cracks in the house. This door isn't working, working properly over time and all of these issues in the house. And you can go try to patch up all of this and this and this and this. And maybe for temporarily, you might think you fix the problem when the problem is the foundation. And we, we spoke of how we need to go back to the foundation. I, ch I challenged you guys last week that this week, don't look to your performance. Don't say, I need to try harder. No, you give your energy into the foundation, into pressing your mind down on meditating on this fact that you have been made perfectly righteous in Christ. And this great gift has been given to you. And let that control your conduct, not your performance. So here, we see that something has happened to us. We've died to sin. We died to sin. If you are indeed in Christ this morning, if you are a Christian this morning, you have died to sin. You might look at yourself and just looking at your past experience and everything and say, I know the Bible says that, but that's the furthest thing from what I see in my life. I don't see any deadness to sin. So can you help me out a little here? What really does that mean? We get to verse 3. And these verses are very fitting being that in two weeks. We're, Lord willing, going to be doing baptisms. So verse 3, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even we should walk 
in newness of life. Now, our Pastor Jeff is going to deal with this more in detail, Lord willing, so I'll just say a few words. But baptism is symbolizing something. The water, the act in itself, there's no significance to it apart from what it symbolizes. And as a Christian, it is a matter of obedience. If we have truly died to our sins and been raised to walk in newness of life in Christ, this is a matter of obedience. It isn't a matter of, well, if I want to get baptized, I'll get baptized. It's a matter of obedience. Now, we're not saying that if you get saved, you're in disobedience, you're in sin and rebellion until you get baptized. No, it, that's not what it's saying. But if you have opportunity to be baptized and you're like, no, then that's when the rebellion comes. So anyone in here? And you have died to your sins, which we'll discuss more. You have been raised to walk in newness of life. You must be baptized. And we have an opportunity here in two weeks to do that. So I would encourage you to speak to an elder. But on the flip side of that, if this has not happened to you, you may have made a profession, but if you have not died to your sins and been raised to walk in newness of life, then to get baptized is actually blasphemous. It's actually false witness. And you're saying, this has happened when it has not happened. You know, we're having communion today. And we, we often make an emphasis, oh, if you are not a believer, do not eat and drink or you'll be eating and drinking judgment on yourself. But what, we, shouldn't we be saying the same with baptism? It's an ordinance of God. Why should anyone profane the name of God? By symbolizing something he has ordained which hasn't happened in your life. So, as we go through this message and dealing with this reality, examine yourself. If this has happened to you and you have not been baptized, do not let this opportunity pass by. But if this has not happened to you, then pray and seek the Lord that this may be a reality in your life, that you, too, may be baptized. But with that being said, this is saying, of course, our baptism is symbolizing our union with Christ. So, verse 5. So, of course, going back, we've been given this gift of righteousness, but this gift of righteousness comes with a union with Christ. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this. So this the first thing Paul, the Holy Spirit, wants us to know as Christians. In order, as we'll see, this is dealing with holiness and sanctification. In order for you, brother or sister, to make any progress in your holiness and sanctification, you have to know something. There's something you must grasp in your mind. And you must hold on to that as an undeniable fact. 
So the first thing we see here, as the grace of Christ has united us with Christ, the first thing Paul wants us to know, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So this is the first thing he wants us to know. He wants these believers to know. The first thing he says, you need to know that your old man, who you used to be in love with your sin, that old man was crucified with Christ. When Christ died, you died. That old man is dead. And he says, We've been united, or excuse me, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. This word, done away with, it literally means to be made inoperative. It doesn't operate anymore. It doesn't function anymore. And you're like, okay, I, I know I'm a Christian, but that doesn't make sense. How? I mean, I still sin. Well, there is a real sense that as a Christian, your mind should be so set on the word of God, so set on living before him, on holiness, that you don't even give your mind to just these realities that, yes, you're a sinner. I mean, yes, that's true of us all. We all sin. But as I said last week, how many times is a Christian referred to as a sinner in the New Testament? The only time that they're referred to as sinners or Paul himself is only to magnify the grace of God. That's it. Period. For example, he says, I'm, I, we were foolish, deceived, slave to various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the love and grace of our God came, not according to our righteousness. I mean, every time you can go through the New Testament, every single time, when Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, that's only to say, but look at the grace, the mercy of God to the chief of sinners. So when we consider our, our sin as Christians, it should be to magnify the grace of God. Not to say, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm so horrible, I'm corrupt. No, that's not where our mind should be. This is where our mind should be. That our old man was crucified with Christ and our body of sin has been made inoperative. It does not function anymore. We are no longer slaves of sin. Everyone in here is a slave this morning, which, Lord willing, we'll get more into later. But if you are a Christian, you are no longer a slave of sin. And it says, verse 7, he who has died has been, I'm going to change the word, justified from sin. This word that in the New King James is, in most other translations, is uh, translated as freed, now, it is true because it just said we're no longer slaves of sin. That is true. However, this word, every other time this word is used in Romans, is justified. To be declared righteous. 
So, your old man was crucified with him. Your body of sin is done away with. And you have been declared righteous from your sin. I mentioned last week, it's one thing to be forgiven of sin. That doesn't make you righteous. That makes you innocent. It's one thing to be freed from your sin. That doesn't make you righteous either. There has been something more than forgiveness. Something more than be, being released from your bondage. You are declared righteous from your sin. And any accusation Satan tries to bring against you, it can't stick. Because you're perfectly righteous and you're standing before God. As the, that is the gift that has been given to you who believe, who are united with Christ. So verse 8, he says, Now, if we died with Christ, and here's the key word, we believe. Do you believe this? Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing, so again, knowing something, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So, Paul has told us that we need to know this. As the grace of Christ has united, united us with him, we need to know this. We need to know our old man is crucified, our body of sin is done away with. We need to know we're declared righteous from our sin, but now... He turns and he goes into a little more detail of the circumstances, I guess you could say, of Christ. That Jesus Christ, he has been raised from the dead. He's not going back under the power of death. You're like, why is he saying that? I mean, that's obvious. I believe that. I mean, I, it never enters my mind. That some demon is going to go up into heaven and grab Jesus Christ and pull him back down to this earth. And he'll, he's, he, he's going to crucify him over again. You say, that never enters my mind. I don't even consider that. That's completely ridiculous. And Paul says, okay. And he goes to verse 11. And he says, likewise. So you believe that. And you're like, it would be completely ridiculous for you to even begin to conceive that Christ would go again under the power of death. He's been raised, and that's not happening. And Paul says, okay, you believe that? Well, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here Paul is saying, Christian, the day Jesus Christ gets pulled out of heaven and is subjected to death again will be the day that you go back under the power of sin. You believe that about Christ? You must believe that about yourself. But this word here, he says, likewise also you reckon, or some 
translations say consider. This word means to, it, it's the foundation of our word logic. It's logikos in the Greek. Okay, this word means to consider the facts. So consider Christ Jesus that Paul has just said before us. Consider that and come to this logical conclusion about yourself and press your mind down upon this undeniable fact and live your life off of this that you have died to your sin. You're not going back under the power of sin. That's not going to happen. At any point in your life, Christian, brother, sister, you will not go back under the power of sin. So, as we press our minds down upon this, as we live our lives off of this, believing this to be true about ourselves, we see the therefore in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and its lusts. Now notice, he's telling Christians, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. So even as a Christian, sin can reign in your mortal body if you let it. But you're like, wait, you've just said I'm no longer under the power of sin. And the day I go back under the power of sin will be the day that Jesus Christ goes back under the power of death. So how are you now saying, Paul, that I have to do something not to let sin reign I mean, sin's not going to reign. That, that's already been taken care of. But you're saying, do not let sin reign in my mortal body to obey its lust? I thought that was taken care of. He's saying, no. There's something you have to do. Now, we can come to this two ways. We talked about this last week. We can say, oh, okay. I'm going to try harder not to let sin reign in my mortal body. Okay, I know what I need to do. I need to read my Bible. I need to go to church. I need to hang out with more Christian friends. I need to listen to more Christian music. I need to, you know, go on YouTube and watch all the conferences. I mean, surely doing all of these things, sin will not reign in my mortal body. Well, again, you're basing this off your performance. And sin will reign in your mortal body if you try to perform. Matter of fact, your performance is out of your flesh. That is sinful in and of itself. So how, how Paul, how do I not let sin reign in my mortal body? How do I do this? Well, we back up. Verse 11. It's not by trying harder. Verse 11. Likewise, you also. It doesn't say, try harder. Try harder to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's not what it says. It says, reckon this. Consider this. Press 
your mind down upon this fact. Meditate on this. This is true of you. Live out of this. Believe this. It's a matter of faith. I did a sermon a while ago based off this verse, according to your faith, may it be done to you. And there is a reality here that if we do not believe this, sin will reign in your mortal body. You can try as hard as you want against sin. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. How come nothing's working for me? It's because you aren't believing. And according to your faith, it's going to be done to you. So how do you progress in your sanctification? How do you not let sin reign in your mortal body? It's not by your performance. It's not by doing this more. It's not by reading your Bible more, giving more time in the day to reading the Bible and prayer and going to church and this and that and every meeting and uh, sermons and whatever you can get your hands on. Now, yes, all of those things are good. All those things are necessary. But that will not keep sin from reigning in your mortal body. Do you believe this to be true about yourself, brother? Sister, do you believe that you have been united with Christ? Do you believe that you've died to sin? And now you're alive. And this word we see in verse 11 when it says, but alive to God. <clears throat> that word alive is a present active verb. So it's actually saying you're dead to sin, but living to God and Christ Jesus, the Lord. Do you believe that to be true about your life? Not that you've just been, you've died and are made alive, but now you are living your whole life. As Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, Christ is your life. Your whole life is living unto God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's when Sin will not reign in your mortal body. When you believe that to be true, when you press your mind down upon this undeniable fact, that is when you make progress. And as we see, verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves alive to God. Or present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Well, we're not going to finish this. So there's going to be a part two, you know. But, so here we see Paul saying, okay... Once you've reckoned this true about yourself, once you've considered yourself to be dead indeed to your sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ the Lord, it's like when you press your mind down upon that fact that this is true about you, no matter what Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, no matter what he brings against you, at any time against you, you consider this to be true. You don't listen to the voice of Satan, listen to the voice of your flesh, listen to the voice of others. 
You listen to the word of God. This is what's true about me. And you live your life off of that. Press your mind upon that. And that's when sin loses its power in your life. Because sin, it comes against your mind. It's the mind. I mean, as Paul say later on in Romans 8, it's like, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. So sin comes against your mind. So if your mind is occupied believing this to be true about yourself, if that's occupying your mind, sin has no power. I mean, let me give you an example. Let's say that you are headed in one direction. Let's say you are hungry. And you're like, oh, well, that looks good. You know, I, I want a burger today. And you're headed in that direction. But as you're headed in that direction, you see Outback Steakhouse. And you're like, you know what? Actually, steak sounds a lot better. And now your mind's thinking about the steak. The burger you first desired has lost its power. Because your mind has been given over to thinking about the steak. And it's the same thing here. It's, it's not saying sin doesn't no longer exist anymore. Sin is no longer a temptation anymore. It's saying that sin has no power if your mind is given over to this. Amen. That I have been crucified with Christ. My old self, it is dead with Christ. I have been raised to walk in newness of life. I'm alive to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who I am. When your mind is given to that. When your mind is given to that, that sin, that temptation, it loses its power because it doesn't have your mind. Your mind is given to the truth of the word of God. So we just said, do I just say, oh, I need to read my Bible more? No, we don't just say, oh, I need to read my Bible more. But we do go to the Bible to grab a hold of truths like this and say, Okay, I see it. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And cling to that truth. And watch the power of sin die in your life. So that's where our holiness and our sanctification begins. With our minds, what we believe. Not what you do. You, you don't come to Christ and say, okay, I'm justified not by anything I've done. It's not by works of righteousness. It's by a gift from God. I'm justified. I'm declared righteous before God. That cannot change. But now I got to be holy. So I got to do this. I gotta, we make our own our checklist. We're like, we got to check off all these things every day. So make sure we're growing in holiness. Now, yes, we should give our minds to holiness, but it's not going to happen when you're thinking about your performance. Good. It comes by believing the truth of what God has accomplished through Christ Jesus and what has been given to you as a gift, a free gift, which not only that righteousness of Christ, 
but also a completely new nature. One that has become dead to your sin. Raised to walk in newness of life. This is who you are. You are not going back under the power of sin. Because Christ is not going back under the power of death. You see everything, not only our initial salvation, but our sanctification. You see it is all attached to Christ. It's because of what he has done. You're saved by the work of Christ. You're sanctified by the work of Christ. You'll be glorified by the work of Christ. All eternity will be by the work of Christ. Therefore, Paul says, no man can boast. You didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. All you did was try to run away from him and rebel against him. And he came in. And he saved you by gift of his grace. Through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, as we spoke of last time. So here, in verse 13, after he says, to you and to me, he says, do not... Present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So, there, there is a choice we have to make. But it doesn't come apart from or before believing the right thing. See, we often... We'll, we'll, we'll go through here and we'll say, okay, you know, I have uh, been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm perfectly righteous before God. Okay, so now that that's the case, we jump from 521 to 613 and say, I'm not going to present my members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But we skip all of those 12 verses about what we need to believe. If you don't believe the right thing, it doesn't matter how hard you try to keep verse 13, it's not happening. And matter of fact, even you trying to keep it, it's not pleasing before God because that's out of your flesh. Putting confidence in your flesh, that's your pride. So what do we do? We believe what he said. We press our mind down upon the fact you are dead to sin. You are alive in Jesus Christ. And then do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. We do that by faith, by believing, not by our performance. And he says, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. And I'll leave out that last phrase because it goes with it's a transition for the rest, which Lord willing we'll deal with in a few weeks. But 
Here Paul is saying, sin shall not have dominion over you. You're like, okay, Paul, wait. You're saying, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not let sin have dominion over you. Now you're telling me, sin shall not have dominion over you. How, how can you say that, Paul? How can you tell me, do not let it, and then turn around and say, it's not going to have dominion over you. That doesn't make sense to me, Paul. I mean... If it's not going to have dominion over me, then I don't have to do anything. I mean, that's a reality. It's by the work of Christ, right? Well, again, see, with justification or being declared righteous before God, that's a mono just, mono, I can't even say it. But anyway, (laughs) but anyway, um, that's a work of Christ alone. In our sanctification, it's a synergistic work. I think I, I think I said. But in a way, we participate in our sanctification. There is a participation here. Yes, it is true. Sin will not have dominion over you. But you can let it. Not by not performing correctly, but by not believing. So just like I challenged you guys last week not to go out and say, okay, I heard, I heard what Ivan said, and you know, I'm the righteousness of Christ, but I still got to do something, right? So I'm going to do this and do this and do this. I'm, I'm going to, maybe you're thinking, you know, if I do all these things, you know, then, then God He's going to look and say, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. You know, good job. You performed very well this week. Well, no. We've been given the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus as a gift. To be received by faith through believing it. And even as it now comes to our holiness, our sanctification, our righteousness in the way we live, we don't abandon that. We don't say, okay, this was a gift, but now I got to get to work. Yeah, I had to believe that, but now I have to perform. No. It's faith. Again, it's believing. Did you believe That you were made the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. And you're like, yes. But now I got to do something. Yes, you have to do something. You have to believe again. That you become dead to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus the Lord. So I would challenge you this week and not just this week. Going forward in your Christian life. Brother and sister, I don't want you to go out from here and say, okay, I, I, I got to do something to be dead to sin in the life. I got to prove this to be true by doing these things. I got to go out here and I have to perform for God. Yes, he's done these things, but now I need to go out and make them a reality. No, they are a reality. Believe it. And that 
It's when you start making progress in your holiness and sanctification. Perhaps you're in here and you've been struggling for the longest time. Maybe it's in your marriage. You know, maybe it's with your parents' children. Maybe it's with uh, someone at work. And you've been struggling for the longest. Or maybe it's just with some personal besetting sin. You've been struggling, trying everything you can. You're in tears. You're like... How come nothing is working? Why can't I get this right? And you're just giving Satan fuel to come and condemn you and bring guilt on you and saying, yeah, see, you can't do anything right. Are you even a Christian? And you've been struggling for so long. Well, I pray that the Lord has revealed to you this day that's because you're fighting the wrong way. You know, there's a saying, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You know, you're, you're not armed as you ought to be. Actually, in verse 13, that word instruments is actually a word we see in, the, in Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God. It's actually a word that refers to weapons. Okay, yes, so it is a fight. But it's a fight of faith. It's a fight of believing. So how do you battle all of these thoughts of condemnation and guilt? How do you battle all of these sins and these relationships and everything? How do you battle that? By battling to believe. Get in the scriptures. Take a hold of these truths that have become true of you in Christ Jesus. And you battle to believe that. And like the man, you say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You give your mind to the reality that has happened to you in Christ Jesus. And that's when you begin to see victory over your sins. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for I thank you for Christ and his work. For without that, we have no foundation. We have no security. Nothing. We are weak. We can't do anything. He is the vine. We are the branches. Without him, we can do nothing. I pray, Father. I pray that you would take this truth from today. If, they, if the Christians in here remember nothing else, may they remember that they have become dead to sin and alive in Christ. And the day that Christ goes back under the power of death will be the day they go back under the power of sin. Let them believe that. And let them live their life off that. And anyone in here whom that is not a reality in their life, they have not become dead to sin. 
They may think they have, but they have not. I pray, Father, that that would become a reality this day by your power. Apply this word to the sanctification and the holiness of your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.